Well, good morning, everybody. Beth Rayleigh is back in the house after surgery and healing, yeah. We sure are glad to see you back today. Blessings to you, yeah. Makes my day to see see you back. Oh, man, let's, let's see. Let's talk about family life for a minute. So this weekend coming up is, you know, hey, it's a big-time weekend. We've been planning for September the 25th, Friends and Family Day. You guys see the sign out on the parking lot over there. So what's going to happen next week? If you've ever been to a college football game and you've tailgated, that's what next Sunday is going to look like. So that means you need to wear your shorts. It's going to be hot. Wear your shorts and T-shirt. Bring you a pop-up tent if you have one. If you don't, make a friend with somebody who has one so you'll have a tent to get under. Bring a lawn chair. And anyway, we'll worship at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning next week. One service, everybody together. That rarely happens for us. So anyway, it's a treat always when we get to do that. Let's see. Besides that, we're going to have baptism. Miss Kay right there. She's going to be baptized tomorrow along with a couple others. So anyway, that's going to be part of the special day. We're going to have grills set up and we'll be cooking hamburgers and hot dogs. You know, just kind of ballpark fatty, you know, stuff that gives you calories and all that. We'll do that. Um, let's see what else. Games. It's football game is going to be on the screen after, you know, after worship and all that. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a Dunkin' Booth. Jeremy's going to be in the Dunkin' Booth. No, you are, man. Anyway, it's going to be a fun time. It's going to be a, a celebration. So we want you to come, bring your family, bring a friend. On the way out this morning, Janice will meet you at the back door and give you a, a ticket, not to put on your refrigerator, but to give to your neighbor or your friend or who ser- whoever serves you at lunch today, that kind of thing. But we want you to invite somebody. We're going to celebrate two years of public ministry as Harvest Church. So it's a landmark time for us. Really going to be a good day. In preparation for that, on Saturday, we'll meet here at 10 a.m. And we will walk through the streets of our neighborhoods. And we will meet our neighbors. We will see how we can pray for them. We'll try our best to talk to them about the Lord. We'll invite them to be part of our celebration. So that happens next Saturday at 10 a.m. Then on Monday and Tuesday night following the Sunday, we're going to have a conference, two-day conference, Cultivating a Heart for the City. It's going to help us kind of get engaged and understand how we can best minister to the people of our city in this season. God has planted us here, and so anyway, how can we be most effective? Monday and Tuesday, two nights of worship that will give guidance for that. Anyway, I want you to be a part of it. Really do. It's a good, good celebration. Okay, what else I want to say? I woke up this morning, I, I was thinking about, I was thinking about family things. So this, this day, 1989, I woke up at my normal time, 3.30, to get ready, to get dressed. I had to be to work at Sam's Club on the receiving dock at 4.30. So I woke up at 3.30 in the morning and uh, anyway, doing my thing, got you know, got in the bathroom, and Janice follows me in there, and she's not up at 3.30 normally, right? So anyway, she follows me in there, and she says, mm, I think we need to go to the hospital. I said, okay, whatever. So um, I said, what's, what's going on? She says, well, you know, I think the baby's coming. And I said, well, you've said that for the past, you know, week, and <laughs> nothing's happened. We've been to the hospital a couple times already. You know, go back to bed. It'll be all right. 
Anyway, so I get in the shower, I get out of the shower, and she said, I felt a kick, and this is different. <laughs> Water breaks, and later that day, we have our first child, 33 years ago today. Anyway, just, um, just thoughts. I've been talking to us about family life for the last, you know, I don't know, three or four months. We have really kind of walked through family conversations, thinking about framework for the family, our you know, our life together for generations and, and what it means to be Harvest Church and what we believe and, you know, all that. We've walked through the book of First Timothy and today we'll conclude those discussions. We have talked about, you know, theological truth and, and you know, what that looks like for us as a family. We've talked about how we live together in relationship in regard to that truth. So anyway, it's been a great time of instruction, really foundational things that, Hey, we'll plant our feet on for years to come. If all goes well, Jeremy and some of his crew, Suge and the guys, they're going to work to put that, that series, the whole book of 1 Timothy, on podcasts or some way that you guys can access that or share it with your friends. So we've, we've went all the way through that. Okay, I'll tell you what let's do. Come on, stand to your feet, everybody. If you, if you feel like you can, if you can't, stay seated. But if you can, stand to your feet, turn to your neighbor, give them a handshake or a holy hug, and welcome them to the assembly this morning. Yep, very good. Hey, we're glad you're here. <laughs> we're, glad, we're glad you're here. <laughs> Watch it. Okay, very good. As you extroverts make your way back to your seats. <laughs> oh, very good. Hey, it's, it's good. It's good to see smiles and laughter and I don't know. I, I love it when we get to be together. Next week we'll be double. Uh, you know, we'll be double this size, the assembly and all that. Everybody together, which rarely happens. I'm excited about that. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20 is our text for today. It's concluding thoughts. It's kind of a, a wrap-up and summation. Really, there's a charge in the text. And here is, here is the word for us today. Y'all look at me for a minute before I read the text. Here's the, here's the word for us today. Guard what matters. Guard what matters. As I put that on your plate this morning, maybe already your mind is wondering, you're thinking about, hey, what's the most important thing to me? What matters most to me? It takes me back to September the 18th, 1989. You know, I think about that. So what, 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 what matters? And our, our charge that comes from the text this morning is to guard or to keep that which matters. The imagery is that of a deposit being placed in a vault for safety, for preservation, for safekeeping. And I'll talk about that more as, as we go into the message, but there is a charge to keep that which been, has been entrusted to Timothy. Look at verse 20, 1 Timothy chapter 6. O Timothy, guard what is committed to your trust. Avoid profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge or science. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith 
Grace be with you. Amen. Charge Timothy. Keep that which has been placed within your trust. Father, bless your people today. Encourage us together as we wrap our minds around this sacred trust that was not only deposited into Timothy's hands as the pastor of the church at Ephesus, but it has been deposited into the church of the living God for us to guard and to maintain and to proclaim to a godless culture. Challenge our hearts. Encourage us together by your word in Christ's name. Amen. All right, as you're seated this morning, just, you know, just a few thoughts to take us back, if you will, to, you know, what our conversation has been. There is a key, there's a key or a central verse that holds the idea of all that Paul wants to communicate to Timothy, his young protege. This central text in 1 Timothy is chapter 3 and verse 15. You can, you know, you can flip there. If I were you, I would underline it and I would put this heading by it, key verse. Everything else that goes before it and comes after it, you know, it, it, it points back to this, this reality. This is what's wanting to be communicated. It reads like this, if I'm delayed, I write so that you might know how you are to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. That's 1 Timothy 3.15. That's the central passage of all the study that we've done this far. And so here are just some recap. Here is the review for you, for you uh, students that like to take notes and all that. Here's a, here's a couple thoughts for me to put on your plate as you know, we look back for a minute. What have we learned? So what have we learned all summer? you know, investing our time in, in these conversations. So here is, here is the first thing that I want to say to you that, that we've learned as a group. And it's a contrast. The first thing we've learned is we, we serve, we worship the living God. There is only one God. Jehovah God, as he's known in the New Testament, he's revealed himself plainly to us in the New Testament in the person of Jesus Christ. And so this language is contrasting. In other words, in the city of Ephesus, Diana rules. There's paganism. The, the seventh wonder of the world is there in Ephesus, this temple to Artemis or Diana. And so anyway, in contrast to, to the paganism, Paul says, hey, you guys, the church that is in Ephesus, the church that is hinged upon Jesus and the disciples, you are the church of the living God. And so that distinction was made in the writing. And so I want to put that in your court today and say to you that, hey, we're not just a gathering of people that get together on Sunday and raise our hands and have good fellowship and do what we do. But, hey, we are part of the church of the living God. And he, he lives in us and he dwells among us. In fact, part of the reassurance that we have in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation is that in the midst of the church, that's where Jesus is. When we assemble, when we gather, we have assurance that he's in the midst. So we've learned that. There's a distinction between God's people and paganism. Church of the living God. Here's the second thing that we've learned. We've learned that the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. And I like to talk about it like this. 
And that is, you know, the pillars. We talked a lot about the number of those. There's 127 pillars in the, in the edifice, which makes up the temple of Diana. Each one of those columns was a gift given, um, you know, from, from distant kings to show their allegiance to that deity. So here is, here is what we say about the church of the living God. It is the pillar, in other words, it's the support structure that holds forth the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is the institution God designed to hold up the truth. That's going to matter in a minute. Here's a third thought. The church holds and handles the source of truth, which is scripture. And so why is that so important? Well, let me read the, let me read the next one. The, the church is, is the holder and the handler of truth. In 21st century, we hold this book in our hands and we, you know, we have the ability and most, most of us have the cognitive ability to read this and comprehend and, and to walk through it if we need instruction to go to it. So the church as the source of, of truth, the, the, the church as the handler and dispenser of the truth, as you will, know that the luxuries that, that we have today were, were non-existent in the Dark Ages. I mean, here's, here's why the Dark Ages were called the Dark Ages. Go back to the time before Martin Luther and the Reformation and just know that those who had copies of the Word of God had the authority over people. And so here's what would happen. Normal people did not have the Word of God. In fact, it was entrusted to the church who used it to deceive people. Part of the Dark Ages, you know, they bring about historic realities that, that we don't like to think about necessarily. But those in Rome that held the Word of Truth, those part of the Catholic Church, they shaped belief outside of scripture to make people believe that if you had a certain amount of money that you could pay for the absolving of your sins. In other words, it's like this, the sale of indulgences. You can look it up if you question uh, what I'm talking about this morning. But anyway, the sale of indulgences said that if you would pay this much to the church, then your sins could be absolved and you could go upon your merry way. Now, here's what I want to say to you. You guys recognize in our day that that is dangerous doctrine. That is heresy. I don't care how rich you are. You're not paying for your sin. I'm paying for the absolving of your sin or paying your way to heaven. That's heresy. In the dark ages, people didn't have the scriptures in their hands to refute that. Those that held that deceived people. They taught false doctrine. And so today we say it's so important for us to not only to proclaim, but to hold forth the truth that's unadulterated and uncompromised in a culture that's full of compromise. We live in, in a day where people don't tolerate the truth. Come on, somebody. Speak the truth. Don't back up from it. Watch what happens. The church holds the source of truth, which is Scripture. The church, by definition, is defined by truth and is to be the visual representation of that truth. Fifth, the church is the place that people should be able to find and hear the truth. That's a, sim that's a simple statement that is 
it's, um, what do we say? It's compromised in our generation. The church, above any other place, should be the source that proclaims truth without apology and without negotiation. We say it like this, it is what it is. If you don't receive it, there's not a problem with the truth, there's a problem with the recipient. Come on, man. Y'all help the preacher today. The church is a place that people should be able to find and hear the truth. If people can't get the truth at the house of God, then there is no other source. Where are they going to go? Fox News? I'm preaching to a Republican. I know that. I know that. I get it. But they don't get it right all the time. Church is the source of truth. Truth that, that matters, truth that's eternal. So let's let's dive in just for a minute. I wanna I wanna ask you this question. Guard what matters, what matters. Personally, you have a concept of what, what that means. Marty, I guard my boys, I guard my house, I protect my home. I, I guard, I protect my retirement. You know, we, we have things that are important to us that, that fit that bill. What I'm talking to us about today is, is collective. From this side to this side, and churches, the church of God across the planet. Hey, what's the treasure? What's, what's most important? What matters? What is it that we're guarding? So that's the conversation. Timothy says, guard what was committed to your trust. Avoid profane and idle babblings, contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. There's been warning after warning. Some have strayed. Some have been shipwrecked. Some have rejected. In the last days or in the latter days, people will depart from the truth. That's been language throughout this letter. So there's this you know, what we've talked about, we've talked about this departure from truth, this drift from truth that doesn't happen overnight. It is, it is gradual, where the church is influenced more by culture than the church influences culture. And so rather than culture adhering to that which God says, the church bends, compromises, and so the truth is slanted. The imagery is a valuable a deposit being kept in a vault. What measures would you take to protect the most valuable treasure that you have? I, you know, I took, I took the liberty to do what you guys do all the time. I Googled something. So, oh, no. It's dead. It's not dead. I put it on airplane mode. Now I can't access what I had. And so I'll do my best from memory. The United States Treasury, where the bullion that, you know, backs up the gold bullion that backs up our currency, it's held. You know, we refer to it as, as Fort Knox, but Fort Knox is the military base right beside our treasury where the gold is housed. The, the first deposits in that depository were placed there in the 1930s. It's too late now. In the, in the 1930s. 
And so, anyway, there's this massive amount of, of gold that's, that's placed there. Today, it is said to house 4,500 and I think 98 tons of gold bullion. To which I say, hey, we got a building fund. We need to go get some of that, right? We, let's go check that out. Let's see what happens. And so what I learned is that that place is a fortress. There is no, you know, there is no public access. We just can't go on a tour, even though it's a federal institution. We can't go on a tour and look inside and see what 9,000 pounds of gold looks like. Because it's, it's armored. It's, you know, it's a depository. In fact, it is said that the vault door is 21 inches thick. And it has all kinds of technology that, you know, is poured into along with the, 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 the military that's next door and the police staff that keeps this place fortified. In other words, you're not getting to the gold. What else is in there? The original Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Gettysburg Address, those documents that are important to our nation and its history as well as it's fundamentals. It's all placed in that depository. It's not, you know, it's not getting messed with. So as the church, here's the question that we have to answer. Hey, what is our treasure? What, what is it that is, that is guarded with the, the utmost of priority? What is it that is kept, you know, as non-negotiable, and it's all summed up in one word. It's found in this text. Timothy, guard that which has been placed in your trust. What is that? That is truth. Truth is most important. It's not music ministry. It's not youth ministry. It's not student ministry. It's not a handsome pastor. It, it is. It's truth. It's truth. Hey, how, how, do, how do we feel about truth? You guys are, are, are looking at me intently, and I'm glad, because here's the deal. We live in a time where even people with a steeple, places with a steeple, with, you know, a heritage that have drifted, Mainline denominations of churches, what used to be true is not anymore. Can I say to you that when the church loses its ability to stand firmly upon truth, it loses its relevance. In other words, it really has no purpose. If, if, if it's your truth and my truth, then, you know, it all boils down to what I think and what I believe. And so, the church has lost its, re its reason for being. If there is no holder of absolute truth, then the church, it doesn't matter. The imagery is a valuable, is the most valuable possession the church has is the truth. And so I'll begin the discussion this way. Hey, let's ask this question. What is truth? We're not the first ones to ask that question. In fact, it was asked directly to Jesus as he is confronted in his trial by Pontius Pilate. Remember, he asked Jesus this question, what is truth? Let me read, let me read you the account 
and then I'm going to answer that. I'm going to answer the question. Pilate therefore said to, the, to him, to Jesus, are you a king? And Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness of the truth. He bore witness of himself. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? When he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him. This question is not new. In fact, our, our generation asked the same question. What is truth? How we answer that matters. You know, is everything a sliding scale? Is it determined by culture? Is it determined by generation? Or is there absolutes that we plant our faith and life and, and church on? To which I say, there is absolute and authoritative truth. There is a truth that reigns above all else. And so let's dive in. What is it? The answer to the question of truth for this generation finds its depth in the New Testament context, John's writings specifically. Here is what is written in John chapter 1 and verse 14. And the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and, come on, truth, fill with it. Full of grace, full of truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received in grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So truth finds its, its resting place in the person of Jesus. When it comes to the idea of worship, Jesus wrestled you know, verbally with the woman at the well. The conversation of, you know, centered around worship at one point. And Jesus said to her, God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so there is a divine transaction. Listen, I mean, here is, you know, here's one of those realities as a, as a person who understands the, the truth of the word of God, this reality that God is the creator of all things, that he is lover of humanity, that God so loved that he gave, you know, just like we sang earlier. I mean, that truth, then when it is, I mean, when it's joined with the spirit of God and it, you know, it's illuminated, it, it's enlightened and it begins to stir our hearts, the truth of the word of God, energized by the spirit of God. And then Man, transformation happens. You know what happens when you get saved? The Word of God joined in tandem with the Spirit of God, and there is a regeneration and a, you know, there's a transaction that happens. It's got a spirit. Those that worship and worship in spirit and in truth, not in spirit alone. Spirit without truth is liberalism. Come on. Truth. Without spirit is legalism. I wanted to say something, but it wouldn't be good. Uh, I'll just say either one of those is bad. Jesus said to those who, be who believed him, If you abide in my word and you are my disciples indeed, 
then you shall know the truth, and the, thr- and the truth will make you free. Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus again, I am truth. Sanctify them. These are the words of the high priestly prayer in John 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. When it comes to the issue of truth, God is the author of it. He, he penned it. We have it. It's, it's in your lap. The scripture is our source of truth. When it comes to the issue of life and eternity, God has the final say. Truth is absolute and it's authoritative. And that matters. You're going to see it illustrated in just a minute. But let me suffice it to say just for a minute. When it comes to creation, God has the final say. When it comes to morality, God has the final say. When it comes to sexuality, God has the final say. When it comes to gender, God has the final say. When it comes to religion, God has the final say. When it comes to freedom, God has the final say. When it comes to deliverance, God has the final say. When it comes to eternity, God has the final say. The deposit that's entrusted to Timothy, it's in his possession, and he's to keep that and then pass it on to generations. It is authoritative. Why does that matter? Listen, here's here's the truth of why it matters. I've staked my life and eternity on what God has said. If it's not true, then I I don't have any hope. I don't have a second leg to stand on. Listen, there's nowhere for me to go. The disciples said, Lord, where, where, where will we go? If there is no absolute authoritative truth, then then we're in a mess. But here's the comfort. We we do have. And so my job today as your pastor is is to affirm that and to firm that up. And to build faith in your own heart. If, if, if there's question about that, let me, let, me, let me tell you why it matters. In 2010, I was diagnosed with a, with a bone disease. Not a bone disease, but a blood disease. So my body saw my platelets as the enemy. And everything in my body attacked my platelets, destroyed them. And so I had no clotting agent, you know, there was bleeding and bruising and, you know, all that stuff. It was an ugly, ugly mess. And so at, at one point in the process, trying to figure out, hey, what's wrong with him? What are we going to do with him? My doctor uh, took me into this examination room and she says, I need you to lay on, on your stomach. And, and I'm going to take this corkscrew looking thing and I'm going to drill it into your back. And I'm going to draw bone marrow out of your vertebrae. I need to see, you know, what's, what's going on. Yeah, you shaking like that? It hurt that bad. I never hurt that bad in my life. So she said, you lay down on the table like this, and you, and you grab onto this. And she put a block in my mouth. She said, you grit your teeth on that? Yeah, it's like something from a horror movie. You don't want to do that. Why was it so important? I needed to know the truth about what was going on. The source of truth was in, in that bone marrow. And it mattered what it said. Do you have leukemia or do you not? How do we treat you going forward? Truth is worth drilling into. It's worth getting to the bottom of. It matters because ultimately when I sit at the table with Bob and Elaine Ginter, 
And I listen to them talk for about an hour. And then he stops me abruptly and he says, Pastor, I want to know for sure that my name is in the Lamb's book of life. Hey, what happens if I don't have a source? What happens if I just say, hey, Bob, you know, I think, hey, you've been pretty good. You've been good to your wife. You've, you know, you've got some investments. You've taken care. You know, what if I start to, to, to ramble and talk about those things? Then maybe that, maybe that appeases his conscience. Maybe that helps his feelings. But that gives him a, a wrong diagnosis. I said, Bob, you've got to be saved. Are you saved? You, Bob, you've got to put your faith and trust in Jesus. I opened the scriptures and I led Bob through the scriptures that talked about Bob as a sinner with the penalty to be paid. The fact that Jesus came to pay it. The reality that Bob could be saved that night. And he was. It was prescriptive. Truth mattered. And it still does. In our culture, Dr. Mark M. Hanna writes, he says, we are facing the following pernicious but wildly held assumptions today. Number one, it's doubtful that there is such a thing as truth, but if there is, it cannot be known. He goes on to say, if there is such a thing as truth, it's very unlikely that there is any religious truth. Pragmatism is in. In other words, if it works for you, then it's truth. Pragmatism was in in the first century at Ephesus as well. Cause drift, personal drift. Some have strayed in verse 5 of chapter 1 because of personal desire. Some have rejected. That is because of personal drift in chapter 1 and verse 19 and chapter 4 and verse 1. In latter times, some will depart being deceived by doctrines of demons. Guard what matters. What's the most important thing? What do we guard? We guard the truth. The most important measure of any church is how it handles the word of God. Here's a statement by MacArthur. He says the church today has received that legacy of truth from those who have gone before. It's our responsibility to guard the truth, proclaim the truth, and hand it down unadulterated to those who will come after us. So how do we do that? Everybody take a deep breath. Come on. How do we do it? How do we guard the truth? Really quickly, here is, here is what I want to put on your plate. Just, you know, just thought for us as a church family. You know, here is, here is the reality of what your pastor is, has, you know, placed every ounce of life and hope and eternity in. And that is that, that the Bible that you hold in your hand is inspired by the Word of God, that it is absolutely God-breathed, that it's God's Word to humanity. That it's been preserved throughout history by the Spirit of God. That God has orchestrated in such a way that it has been translated and preserved for us in our generation. That we have God's Word in our hand. Listen, the, the reality that that Word that has been given by inspiration of God is illuminated by the Spirit of God. In other words, it comes to life and it energizes that believer who, who reads it. Listen, if you have a faith deficiency... Man, get you some of the Word of God. Find your place in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John and get to know the Savior that I proclaim to you today. It's, it's life-changing. Guard the truth. How do I do that, Pastor? Here's how we do that. Number one, by believing it. Believe the truth. Here is, 
Here is some scripture reference for you. John 5, 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death unto life. Listen, believe the word of God. Believe what God has said in his word to you about life and about salvation and about every subject. His, His word is reliable. Here's the second thing, and that is by honoring the Word of God. Job writes in chapter 23 of his, of his book, he says, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips, that is the Word of God. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. In other words, there is this honor for the Word of God. Listen, believe it. You may say, Pastor, listen, I'm an educated person. I've been to preschool, elementary school, junior high, high school, been to junior college, I've been to college, I've been to graduate school, and you just, you know, whatever you want to pile up, you know, I'm too educated to believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And let me just, let me just speak to you for a minute. If, if you have no belief, foundational belief in the inerrancy of Scripture, then you have no basis for your belief and so here's what I want to say to you I'll challenge you if if that's your place then you do what people have done through generations including men like Luther and Calvin and you you go back to our church fathers Augustine and some of those guys and you read the history of the church and you watch the price that's been paid and the reality that God has preserved His Word, that Jesus Himself quoted from the Old Testament, giving it authority. And listen, over and over and over again, you can put the Word of God to the test. And here's what I say, God's not, a, God's not afraid of your questions. He, he's not a, afraid of your inquiry. Here's what's going to happen at the end of the day. Your faith is going to be bolstered. Listen, God's Word has stood the test for generations. You believe it. I mean, you, you can trust it. I've searched it. Honor the word of God. See it as such. Number three, love the word of God. Here is what the psalmist says in Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Number four, obey the word of God. Again, in John's gospel, chapter eight. Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, that is to remain there. You are my disciples indeed. There is a, you know, there's this distinction of, of those followers of Christ and those who are not. And it's to remain or to abide in the word of God. Obedience is a fruit of that. Number five, proclaim the word of God. Here is how Paul writes to Timothy in his second letter in chapter four and verse two. He says, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Number six, defend the word of God. Here is, here is the word for your uh, Michael and Brent and you young, young folks. Y'all, y'all tune in for a minute. This is your word. Part, part of my educational process was the same as yours. So junior high and around that time, and even a little bit before, you know, Darwinism and evolution comes comes in. 
to the teaching process. And there are hypotheses that are presented and so forth. And so here is, here's what happens when you guys, you know, you, you feed on that. You, you hear that doctrine. Maybe some, maybe some, not more than others. But then as you progress and you make your way to college, in the, in the very first literary class you take, there, there is a great possibility that, that the Word of God is going to be challenged. It's going to be seen in a different perspective, in a dif- different view. And you're going to be challenged about what you believe about Scripture. And to believe that Scripture is divinely authored and authoritative and inerrant is, is a diminished view. In other words, you're going to be ridiculed for that view in that class normally by that professor. And so here's what I want to say to you. The greatest need that the church is going to have in your generation and going forward are apologists who not only hear the questions, but have thought through those questions and have worked out those details and have studied well enough to be able to defend the faith in those contexts. For far too many generations, the church has been lazy. We've been recipients of truth. It's been handed down generation after generation, and we've received it, but we've, we've learned things, and we've not asked why. You know, what is the basis? What is the substance of this belief other than mama told me, which is great. If you had a godly heritage like I did, that is a blessed and head start beginning. But the reality is, in this culture, There has to be apologists that are strong enough and learned enough to be able to stand in the public square and defend the faith well. You say, Pastor, is that unique to our generation? No. Man, go back and study the Reformers. I mean, you guys study your church history and know that that's been a necessity. And because of their diligence now today, we hold in our hands... That which God has passed down and that which has been been preserved for generation after generation. So that which we have received, then we, listen, we don't negotiate it. And we don't pawn it off and, and compromise it and say, well, it was good for them, but it's not good for us. No. Man, it's, it's worth defending. Why? Because the next generation has to have it. And the church is the source. Pastor, why does it bother you that mainline Christianity is sliding, it's drifting? It's because it's not supposed to be. The the church is the source. If the church is not the source, there is no other source. Guard what matters. The treasure of the church is the truth. We have received it. Let's cherish it and be ready to share it. That's what's in our depository. Cultivate uh, a respect and an appreciation for the Word of God. That's been placed within our trust. This morning, as you stand to your feet, Jeremy, come on, let's sing.
Let's praise the Lord as we do. Here is how I offer the invitation. Let's give thanks today for the truth that's been placed within our trust. Not only was it given to Timothy, but it's placed in our hands today. And that listen, that gives great freedom. It gives great freedom because I have a firm platform not only to stand on today, but to hope in for eternity. Father, bless your word. God, all, all I want to do in this moment is, God, to give you thanks. Not for sliding truth or truth that changes through generations and variations for different cultural contexts. But, God, you have you've given us. A truth, not one that comes along beside of other truths, but distinct, divine truth. Thank you for that. Today we know how to live and govern and guide and respond and love because of your truth. We know how to raise families. We know how to live lawfully we we know how to live a blessed life because you gave us your truth we look ahead with un- uncertainty about what things might look like next week or next year as we think about the direction of of our nation its economy and all and all of that and yet we trust and we hope in your word then as things get really personal and real, we look into hey, what happens after this life is done. We look with assurance and we see with spiritual eyes the reality that you've prepared more for us than what we experience today. Created us for eternity. Prepared a place for us. So we long, we, we long for that. We look for the reality of what you've promised and what we hope in because of your word. We give you thanks for it today. Today, it finds its place, a seat of authority in my own heart. And in this church that you have raised up in this city for this season, God, help us to contend earnestly for it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.